Hello there, I'm Patrick Strofe, trusted authority on executive and transactional liability and president of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services, a member of the Liberty Company Insurance Brokers Group. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions, and we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Ron Edmonds, founder of the Principian Group. For the past 17 years, the Principian Group has been providing M&A advisory services to business owners and investors in lawn care, landscaping, and other facility services. One could say the Principian Group is the match.com of landscaping. And talk about niches that are hiding in plain sight. I, I'm very excited because I never would have thought about this as a specialty in M&A. Ron, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Patrick. Ron, before we get into the Principian Group, let's start with you. How did you get to this point in your career? And then, then we can talk about the focus. But let, let's get right uh, some context for our audience members. Well, like a a lot of other people, I, my career has taken some paths and turns. And yeah, I'm a CPA by background in college education. I've practiced as a CPA with a, a national firm for 14 years, I guess. Uh, and then I was a CFO uh, for about nine or 10. And that business was sold. And I was, uh, you know, 40 and looking for a new uh, career, third, career number three, which is pretty common these days. Not too many people like uh, my dad, who had one job out of, yeah. after out of the military. Yes. Uh, around. Uh, and I was actually kind of frantic, which um, seems kind of stupid now uh, because I, I actually thought I was old and to, to be hired as a, in a new company or something like that. And, uh, but to, while I was trying to figure out what to do, what I wanted to do next, I did a little consulting, and I ended up getting a, a consulting arrangement with a, a company called True Green Lawn Care. Most people have heard of that. It's by far the largest company in the uh, fertilization business, and they're based here in Memphis, where I am, and and they were looking for uh, some skills to uh, work with them on in making their acquisition process uh, more effective, efficient, and safer, actually. And they had just greatly increased what they were doing because historically they'd been a, been uh, gotten most of their new customers from telemarketing. And that was about the time the no-call list had come out and they had to pivot uh, uh, pretty dramatically. And so uh, I uh, took on this assignment that I expected to last about 90 days and they were my primary client for um, close to four years. I still occasionally do some work for them uh, This 20, uh, 15 years later. Uh, but that got me a taste of, of lawn care and landscape. Saw a little bit about what dealmakers looked like in, in that industry. And I thought there was a, a place for somebody like me with my kind of background and personality. And I could uh, make a fit. And uh, it's worked pretty well. So it's, it's amazing how, you know, some adversity or obstacles can create new pathways. So the do not call list comes out and that shuts the door on a lot of marketing and opens up something else. So that, that's a great story there. Now, let's go to the Principian Group and tell us about this. But I always like learning about the culture. You get some insight with companies because you didn't call it Ronald Edmonds M&A Advisory. You picked Principian. So 
tell us about the name and then how you, you know, are, are focusing here on the lower middle market. Uh, it's really pretty funny because I have the opportunity to talk to people about choosing names quite frequently and actually advise people about changing their name in advance of going through a, uh, an M&A process sometimes because in the landscape industry, there's a real issue with having your name on the door and people, you know, really focusing on you as the individual as opposed to the business. Now, I'm going to tell you, I wasn't thinking about anything like that when I named this company. And what really happened was I had a partnership going that went sour. And a lot of people can relate to that. And a lot of people have had that lesson. I get to see people that have had good experiences and bad experiences with partnerships. But I had a, I had to uh, split up and I needed a name and a brand and a website and all those things just as fast as I could get them. And I was uh, enamored at the time of Greek words. And, you know, I actually went through the dictionary looking at different Greek words that might make sense. And, uh, and this one means first things or important things. And to be perfectly honest, that was a little bit of a dig at my former partner. <laughs> because, oh, wow. I, okay. because I thought he had not focused on the important things. And uh, hopefully he's not listening to this. Uh, but, uh, anyway, so we, we picked that name and we're able to get, get a URL and everything and have devoted you know, especially in the early years, an enormous amount of energy into uh, recognition marketing uh, on the web and the trade journals and and uh, e uh, email newsletters and all this stuff. And uh, at some point in time, I thought, gee, what a lousy name I picked. And I said, how could you possibly, you know, I don't know, there's probably three or four tests of a good name, but the first two are, they must, should be easy to spell and easy to pronounce. And this one fails those miserably. Uh, and, I, you know, I've started to change the name twice, but was convinced by people in the industry that that would be ridiculous uh, because it has recognition in our niche. And and uh, and so we stuck with it. And it and most people in the industry, I think, do do recognize it, uh, both from the level of marketing we've done. And we've also were we were doing content marketing when content marketing wasn't cool and we've got everything we ever wrote on the web. And it's, uh, we found that you don't have to spend a lot of money on search engine optimization. If you have all that stuff that's yeah. accessible. And so if you're going to look for um, information about, about mergers and acquisitions in the lawn landscape space, the odds are you're going to find us. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll put this in the show notes, but I, I do say it was very impressive because you've got that right there on your homepage. You have two ebooks: private equity investment in landscaping industry as of 2020, and then what you need to know when selling a lawn care business. I mean, you've got your how-tos right there. That couldn't be more straightforward than anything else. And I think that I, I imagine landscaping, the industry is unbelievably fragmented and you're in the lower middle market largely because there aren't that many, you know, 50, $100 million landscaping or building services organizations out there. So there's, you know, when you're in that, that lower middle market sector, if people don't know about you and what you guys can offer, they're going to default to other parties or competitors or business brokers or try to get into institutions 
And they're either maybe not being misled, but I think they're going to be overcharged and underserved. So it's very important. I'm so happy that you're here to talk about what Principian Group can do for this segment. But, you know, in the early days, okay, you were with um, that, that large company, okay, and then, and then you moved on. Why landscaping? What did you see that everybody else was missing as an industry? I'd like to say that I am, you know, clairvoyant and uh, a forward-thinking person that saw that this would boom in a few years, but that's not true. What I did see was an underserved market, which was clearly underserved and big and had a lot of transactions going on. That hasn't been as consistent as I may have hoped, at least back then it wasn't. You know, it was just booming when I made the decision and it slowed way down really quick. But we made some changes and broadened our scope and have made it through pretty well the the downturns in, in M&A and the economy, which are usually in tandem, but not always. Um, it's been so amazing to see the changes over the last 20 years, because 15 years ago, if you remember what was going on politically and in the economy, you know, if you talked about a government shutdown because there was an impasse between the White House and Congress, no one would do anything. You couldn't sell anything. You couldn't, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't talk about it. They, they certainly wouldn't sign any contracts. And that seems so trivial now compared to the kind of tumult that we've experienced last a few years. And, and it's, uh, and no one's missed a beat, you know, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable that we could go through a pandemic that has been as hard and as long as this one and still have the M&A market moving aggressively forward. It is unbelievable. Yeah, and and, and all, one other thing is just to clarify this, because again, I, I wasn't aware of this, but you've got residential landscaping and you've got business, business uh, commercial landscaping. And the larger focus for you is commercial landscaping. And in an earlier conversation, you and I were, uh, were having, I said, well, with the impact of the pandemic, there are going to be fewer and fewer uh, people going back to work. So a lot of these office, uh, you know, commercial buildings are, are mostly empty. Okay, how's that going to impact landscaping? What was your response to that? If they ever want to lease those buildings up again, they better look attractive and taken care of. And yes, I think there could come a time when that's an issue, but not now. You know, drive down the areas where there are commercial office parks and office buildings. You're not going to see them a mess, uh, or at least not on purpose. You know, they have their challenges right now. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people in the industry that, you know, are really having a, a real struggle over labor and, and getting their work done. Uh, but it's not because the clients don't want it or aren't willing to pay. Yeah, I, we've got a number of uh, shopping malls here in Silicon Valley, and a lot of the stores are shut. But the flowers are getting planted. And as you said, we don't see any weeds growing anywhere. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think retail is the best market to invest in. Yeah. <laughs> I might add, it yeah. will affect it in time, I imagine. But uh, but you're correct. Yeah. So with um, we'll talk about real quick on how private equity, this can't hit their radar. Because that, that's that kind of interesting on what's happening there. Yeah, it is, it's really boomed in an amazing way. And we've been following this trend for, I guess, pretty closely for 10 years. 
And there would be a, a few deals done. And I actually started publishing this annual survey of private equity activity. And it was a pretty thin report 10 years ago. Uh, and it's, you know, so much so involved now that it's hard to to keep up with it. It's too much work to, to put out something like that. Uh, we, we still do it at least once a year. But I think part of it is the general private equity investment scenario in the lower middle market and for service industries. They love recurring revenue models, and most of these businesses have a pretty big component of recurring revenue. Uh, but there's just, I'd like to say it's really specific to lawn, lawn and landscape, but I'm not sure that's really true. It's caught the attention of, of private equity, but but there are you know, people crawling for, for deals everywhere you look, and everybody's looking for a new idea and then disappointed when they find somebody else has already figured it out. Um, you know, for example, in some of the sub-niches in landscape, one of the big ones right now is vegetation management. You might not even know what that means, you know, <laughs> and it's not in there. There's not trade magazines promoting that. It's a little bit easier, harder to find them, but it's a great big niche uh, with, with a three, a three and a half billion dollar company and lots of, you know, a good number of hundred million dollar companies and, and uh, private equity loves looking for those deals. Those companies, by the way, what they do is work with utility companies for the most part in uh, making sure lines are clear. Okay. And so there's both a routine service. And then when the hurricanes come, they make their real money. You can see the, the, the big long, uh, lines of trucks running down the interstate headed in whatever direction the hurricanes caused havoc. And I'm sure I haven't particularly noticed that with Hurricane Ida, but I'm sure it's going on. You know, those of us that live out in the suburbs and in Silicon Valley, where you said where you got all the tree care services, would that be considered part of it uh, for for your area? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got lots that's of another hot trees. area right now. Okay. Yeah. Cause we've got lots of older trees out here. If the high winds ever kick up, we don't have hurricanes, but if high winds kick up, all of a sudden we get uh, power lines get taken down from a fallen tree. You got to move quickly. So, okay. You know, again, this, the more we talk about this, the more I learn about this. Now you've been involved. I mentioned this, you've been involved in this industry for 17 years. Okay. And I reference Principian group as the match.com of landscaping. Let's talk about what you bring to the table as an advisor, because you've got a nice Rolodex of not only, uh, you know, potential sellers looking to get bought and you're representing them, but you've got a great list of buyers. We do. And uh, we've networked and met people for, for a long time now. And uh, we use a variety of tools to meet new people. The, one of the ones that has been the most valuable to us is that, uh, that book that we put out on private equity investment in the landscape industry, because just about every private equity firm that's been interested in learning about investing in this area has downloaded that book. And the majority of probably uh, business owners that think they might be a candidate have, have downloaded it too. And so that's one of been one of our huge lead generators, I might add, but but we've been real active in the in the industry and and are willing to talk to anybody, and that's one of the things I like most about it. You know, sometimes we're not the right people to help, uh, but we can often aim people in the right direction. But uh, 
we do understand and have been involved with plenty of transactions. Most of them have done pretty well. Some have done great. A few have been really challenging. And we've got some depth of experience to help business owners get ready uh, for a more positive experience. And we understand what their numbers look like, what their businesses are doing, and can can explain that to buyers and and um, and often you know make a deal happen. Uh, it's still, you know, particularly with smaller businesses, the buyers are there finding where they are can be a little bit difficult. Uh, for larger businesses, uh, the demand is enormous. Uh, and when I say larger, I mean businesses that are basically at the very end of the lower, of the lower middle market. You know, uh, you know, five to $10 million companies, there's a really strong demand driven by private equity investment and looking for add-on deals. Uh, but that has flown through to, to other businesses. Most of the larger ones are, you know, there's a lot of ones that are owned by individuals. Some are owned by ESOPs. That's fairly common in the industry. Uh, different kinds of ownership formats are out there. All of them are participating in the m activity today. Well, one of the areas that's uh, the new tool, new relatively, has been around for several years, but it only really caught fire in the last four or five years, has been an insurance product called reps and warranties insurance. And the purpose of reps and warranties is to take the indemnity obligation that's in the purchase and sale agreement and transfer it away from seller. So seller isn't liable to buyer anymore and transfers it over to an insurance company. So that in the event of a breach of the seller reps and that breach leads to a financial loss on the buy side, the buyer doesn't have to go and try to claw back or pursue the seller. They just go right to an insurance company. It simplifies the process. It lowers the temperature in the negotiation, particularly when we get to indemnification, which is near the end. And you don't have this us versus them kind of conflict. They work together and go and do that. And it's really been a boon for the M&A industry. And I'm just curious, you know, because you are in the lower middle market, but, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, without taking my advice on what, it, you know, rep and warranty. Uh, Ron, what's been your experience with reps and warranties? Well, to be honest, it's been pretty minimal. You know, you know our work is, you know, probably 80% sell side, and it just really hasn't come up too much. You know, I have been following it, listening to people like you talk a bit for the last few years, and it's it's interesting to me, and I would certainly think it would play a role in, in some deals, especially as as if there were products that were available that were focused on a little bit smaller deals than what seems to be the case right now. Well, this is why this is an ideal time for us to be talking, because as of July 2021, an insurance market called CFC came out with a sell-side only product for the real lower middle market. These are companies with valuations of one to 10 million in, in uh, enterprise value. And you don't have to worry about a buyer. We're not underwriting the buyer's due diligence. Uh, the insurance company goes in and sends an application to the seller. They fill it out just like any other insurance application. There's no underwriting fee. There's no underwriting delays. And you, the seller does not have to worry about the buyer approving the insurance or not. They just get the insurance and it protects them. Um, it's one of the newer products out there. And it, you know, the purpose also for us talking is to make sure that the word about this available new product for this sector of the market that 
hasn't been eligible for rep and warranty is now available. And so it's one of the things that I'm, I'm very happy to have out there. And uh, I would say that given time, you're going to see the success of this new CFC is called TLPE, Transaction Liability for Private Enterprise. You're going to see it grow and then 10 million enterprise value won't be its uh, ceiling. It'll probably start cre creeping up to 15 to $20 million I mean, in, in very short time. So it's an it's, uh, it's, uh, opportune time to bring it up. And so I, yeah, I think that's going to be fantastic because one of the biggest issues that we work with all the time is fear. Yes. And when, when uh, sellers look at a transaction where they're selling a business they've created that accounts many times for 95% of their net worth, and they look at the, the ways that that could come back and haunt them, I mean, that they really get really upset and worried. Yeah, and I, and I think it's, it's ideal because on a sell-side product, the seller has full uh, control of whether or not the insurance is placed. Your traditional rep and warranty policy, you are absolutely relying on the buyer to, to agree to move forward. Even if the buyer doesn't have to pay for it, the seller's willing to pay for it, the buyer has to undergo diligence. And there are a lot of buyers on the lower middle market that just don't want to do that. And there's, there's a good case for that. But it, it, it's nice to have this option. So we're, we're very proud to be able to have a dynamic market that is meeting these new needs. Um, yeah, Ron, I want to know more about that. So we, we will definitely be talking about that. Absolutely. Uh, now, Ronald, as we're going through this, we're near the end of the pandemic and in the Delta variant and so forth. We're, uh, I mean, 2021 is closing rapidly going into 2022. Give us a picture what trends do you see, either macro in M&A or specifically for uh, your, your segment? Well, there certainly are a lot of people out in the market right today who are fearing capital gains tax rates, which no matter what, in some fashion, we're probably going to see, there's hard, it's hard to imagine a scenario where we're not going to see some tax increases whether they're going to be of the magnitude that the administration has proposed, I don't know. But a lot of people assume that they will and are trying to plan for that. Of course, what they can't plan for is when, when a tax might be enacted. Yeah. There's a, a big assumption that that might be, whether it's actually enacted before or after the end of the year, it might be effective at the end of the year. So there are quite a few people trying to get deals done before the end of the year. It's really too late to get started for 99% of potential sellers to, to get there at this point. Uh, but that hasn't caused a, a drop-off in interest. Uh, there's lots of activity in our sector and lots of other sectors. And you know, I can see next year being as, uh, probably as big a year as this one, barring some sort of economic event that would that would stop it. It's beginning to feel, of course, this makes me feel potentially stupid, but it's beginning to feel like there's it, it can't be stopped uh, because the, the economy is structured itself and where, where the money comes from, there's so much money that needs to be invested. Of course, that might change if interest rates rose dramatically or something like that. But right now, there, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get deals done, and, and that's been favorable to sellers because prices have have, um, have been pretty pretty nice. In our segment, 
we have a lot of people that are, you know, retirement age, the, the baby boomer sell off of businesses that were built by baby boomers is feels like it is becoming a reality. You know, people have been talking about that for years now. Uh, of course, the baby boomer generation is pretty big. Uh, that you better get out while the getting's good before everybody else uh, gets the the good deals. I suppose there's some might be some truth to that, but I don't think a lot. You know, in the consolidating industry, it's fascinating. There's been all this activity in landscape over the last, especially the last five years. And, you know, you really have to look pretty hard to see the impact of it in terms of the industry as a whole. Private equity firms ask me if the business industry is picked over. No. You know, it's a regenerating thing. There's always new companies going in, you know, and I noticed not long ago in some studying I was doing that despite all the transactions that have happened, the size you have to be to get into to be one of the top 100 landscape companies in the country has not gone up every year. You know, it's not that much bigger than it was five years ago. And one year it went down, uh, even though industry revenues were up. And there's new young people uh, leading businesses and 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 uh, creating new things. Yeah, it's nowhere near all picked over. And that's before you can start start looking at some of the the new things that are happening. You know, you know, there's no doubt this industry is having as big a labor crisis as anything other than perhaps restaurants. Uh, I mean, there's some similar reasons that some of them are different, uh, but it's a it's a big problem. So, you know, what do we have today? We have people really seriously looking at things like robotic mowing. Ron, would you say that, you know, if somebody wanted to try to get a deal done before year end a seller, could they come to you? Is it possible to pull something off? It's possible if they're the perfect candidate okay. um, and highly desirable. And there, there are people out there like that, but but it would be it would be a big challenge. I you know, I would talk to people and, and make an assessment uh, of what the best opportunity is, but but it would it'd be pretty tough. Ron, how can our audience members find you? Back to words you can't pronounce and can't spell, but our website is principiumgroup.com. That's P-R-I-N-C-I-P-I-U-M group.com. And my email address is ron at principiumgroup.com. And I would tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you wanted to get uh, established as an authority, uh, it's always nice to have written the book in a particular discipline because if you wrote the book, you're sharing your knowledge with the community and the community should come to you for all that. And you have that, like you said, you've got two books on your website. They're eBooks you can download immediately. I strongly encourage them. Ron, thanks for your generosity there with, with the community. And thanks for being a guest today. It was just a real pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed it very much. And wish you the best. <laughs> <laughs>